Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Seven years in the making, including having to deal with the COVID pandemic and a further delay following the withdrawal of some of the biggest names in the sport. But finally, the 2021 Rugby League World Cup kicks off this week in the UK in 2022. I'm John. And I'm Michael. And this is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, the podcast speaking to the men and women behind the scenes of sport in the UK. It was 2015 when England won the bid to stage not just the Men's World Cup, but also the Women's and Wheelchair Rugby League tournaments. So let's talk to the man who's brought them all together for the very first time. Hello, my name is John Anderson. I am Chief Executive of the Rugby League World Cup 2021 being delivered this year in 2022. How exciting is it that we're now just days away from the start? Oh, it's really exciting, in particular, everything that we've had to contend with. If we go back to 2015, uh, the Prime Minister at the time was David Cameron. Uh, so we know on the fourth Prime Minister during the tenure of the event, we didn't have Brexit in the plan. We didn't have a global pandemic. We didn't have war in Europe and cost of living crisis or postponements. And we've had to contend with all of those things, as have many other people um, in the world. So it's great to um, almost be at the start line. Um, last year was really tough for us. We got ourselves into a position to deliver the tournament. We had to postpone it. Uh, but on reflection, we will deliver a, a bigger, a better and a more inclusive tournament because of that. It will happen this year because last year it was Australia and New Zealand saying that they didn't want to travel and, and they would pull out of the tournament if it took place. And obviously they, they are key rugby league nations. Yeah, they, they absolutely are. Uh, it was more about the athletes. I mean, they uh, withdrew. Uh, that's five teams across the three tournaments uh, from Australia and New Zealand. But more importantly, a lot of the athletes um, play in the NRL competition in Australia. And we were faced with a decision that we could have carried on, but we'd have excluded some of the world's best athletes and we just weren't prepared to do that. So the tournament will happen, um, absolutely. Um, we live in uh, still uncertain times. Uh, we live in a complex uh, world, but that's why we've seen with the Women's Euros, with the Commonwealth Games, uh, bringing sport live on the BBC and we've got every second of every game on the BBC. Um, events are quite special and it's a celebration. It brings people together. So uh, it starts 
very shortly. Uh, but lo- so much to look forward to. And uh, yeah, I personally, I can't wait. You touched on it there and let me expand on it. But with all the issues in the world at the moment, a cost of living crisis, a war in Europe, why are sporting events still important? Why do they still capture the public imagination? Why do we need them? I think a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, unscripted drama. Um, it, I think only sport can create uh, that. And we've seen some amazing moments. What happened in the Women's Euros final? What happened in the Cricket World Cup final in 2019? What's happened in previous Rugby League World Cup semi-finals? But more than anything, it brings people together. And it's the ability uh, to come with family and friends to experience sport and to create some amazing memories. And I think we all remember lockdown where we just weren't able to go inside a sports stadium and how we felt about that. So I, I think it is an international sport, um, not as tribal as club uh, sport, uh, but the, the chance to come celebrate and be there for the experience as much as what happens on the field of play. I live in Darlington, so I'm kind of on this cusp of North Yorkshire, County Durham, North East. So rugby league is is very much part of the heartland where I live. But this is very much not just about the north of England and venues in the north of England, is it? No, it's a celebration. We want to celebrate how great the North is and some contemporary, uh, modern places in the North. We're starting our tournament in Newcastle. We've got all three finals in Manchester in 24 hours. We are going to Middlesbrough, to Tees Valley. Uh, We are going to York and to Leeds and to Hull. Uh, And we are going to some towns in the North that perhaps would not stage a World Cup in any other sport. Uh, But mixed with that, Coventry, London, etc. So, um, yeah, just the chance to celebrate uh, people and place. Uh, No stereotypes here uh, in our tournament in rugby league. This is the biggest tournament in the sports 127-year history, uh, and we want it to be a celebration. And you mentioned the three finals. It's the first time that the men's, women's and rugby league wheelchair is all coming together all at the same time. It is. Um, We are history makers um, and we're very proud of our inclusive uh, approach. And when we first had the idea to bring the three tournaments together, we probably didn't realise how complicated that would be. Uh, Probably didn't realise how expensive that would be. Uh, But we we have been authentic and true to what we uh, laid down the foundation in 2015, 2016. So from introducing participation fees equal across all three tournaments, so it gives every nation the ability to pay their athletes the same, to introduce prize money for women in a wheelchair, to treat everyone the same in terms of flight accommodation, uh, to increase uh, turnaround for women's players for welfare reasons. So all of those are stepping stones that we've put in place. So we probably didn't quite have the plan way back, uh, but fast forward to finals week in Manchester, we will have the two women's captains, the two men's captains, the two wheelchair captains of the finalists with the three trophies sat speaking to the global uh, media on the same platform. And, and, and I think that's something more than anything I'm looking forward to, because that really will be a celebration. Do you think, John, that more sports should be looking at doing that, at bringing the the equality together, if in effect, diversity and equality together? Yeah, I, I think it's different uh, for every sport. Um, and a lot of it will come down to the business economics and the sort of growth of the sport. Um, but we, we've had really interesting conversations with my peers, with other sports organisers who've looked at this. And, and I think we have we've already seen it with the Commonwealth Games. We've seen it integrated uh, in other sports. So it feels like we, we've been just on this incredibly long journey of 2015 compared to now. Other people have stepped forward. Uh, and I think there's some great work happening. And hopefully uh, we will provide um, a spotlight uh, for other people. Uh, we're running a big observer programme at the end of the tournament. And we welcome anyone to come talk to us, have a look at us. 
we've not got everything right uh, and we're quite happy to pass that learning on to uh, other people but more inclusivity more equality more diversity uh, can only be a good thing for sport just on that john a, a follow-up on that do you think britain is leading the way in equality and diversity in sport and it's something that we've had to do but actually we are leading the way and this is what this podcast is about it's about people behind the scenes who are making these decisions and, and people like you who are making it happen yeah i i, I think the uk overall um, we've staged some amazing events we can go back to 2012 we can go back even further and i fondly remember the commonwealth games uh, in manchester but i think that the uk has shown leadership in a number of areas. And I think this is another example of putting our best foot forward, um, thinking about equality, thinking about inclusivity, but also thinking about delivering a sustainable event that has a commitment off the field as well as on the field. And our social impact programme for us, it was baked in at the start. It is our purpose, making a positive impact on people's lives. Um, and that, I guess, at the end is probably the thing I will be most proud of because we've made a difference and we've done it before the tournament starts. Uh, and that's investment into uh, the local communities that we're supporting. I want to speak to you a little bit about the work you're doing on that social impact programme. But just to extend on what John has been talking to you there about, I spent my summer in Birmingham at the Commonwealth Games and lots of people involved in the organisation of that event said the reason it's worth its place on the calendar is because it's not a mini Olympics. It's not a mini Paralympics. It's something different. It's inclusive. There's a para sport programme. There's an able body sport programme. When your tournament happens, you're going to be up against Autumn Rugby Union Internationals. You're going to be up against Premier League football. Is the fact that you brought everything together going to enhance your place on the sporting calendar this year? We think so, Michael. Um, we've had to move our tournament, displace it by 12 months and fit it in the window just before the FIFA World Cup in Qatar starts. So the complexity of the scheduling, uh, we could talk uh, We could talk all day uh, about that. But I think Ian Reid and the team uh, in Birmingham and the Commonwealth Games did a fantastic job. We'd have loved to have staged our tournament in summer, uh, but the reality is we have to work around the domestic seasons on each side of the world. But I think we will get additional cut through, first of all, through the visibility that the BBC will give us. So if we go back to 2013, the last time this tournament was staged, we had seven of 28 games live on the BBC. We will have 61 of 61. And, and we've seen from uh, Women's Euros and Commonwealth Games, visibility will reach more people. Uh, but I do think we'll get the cut through. It is a very busy sporting window, Premier League football, Autumn Internationals and a lot more. And of course, everyone um, sort of counting down the days before Qatar. But I think we'll stand tall, uh, get cut through. I think reach more people than the sport has ever reached before. Yeah, for an organisation that apparently doesn't have any sport, it's not been a bad summer for the BBC, has it? With the Euros, Commonwealth Games, um, the Lionesses, of course, and now your event as well. But tell us a little bit about the, the social impact programme and why that was so integral to your planning for this tournament. Yeah, we, we, we sort of eliminated the use of the word legacy at a very early stage. Um, there will, of course, be a legacy. There'll be more people watching the sport, um, hopefully more commercial partners and our colleagues in the governing body will take that forward. But for us, it was by making a commitment, making a positive impact on people's lives in the communities that we, we will reach. Uh, I, I guess my sort of personal motivations around social mobility and when we talk about pr protected characteristics, I think social mobility is probably the one that doesn't get quite the intention it deserves, attention it deserves. And where people are born plays such an important part on the lives. And if we tackle inequalities through providing more opportunities, 
we've provided a program that we think has done that. Are we going to change the world? Absolutely not. Have we made uh, a positive impact? Um, is it demonstrable? Uh, can we point to it? Uh, we've commissioned a piece of research that we're very proud of, uh, an independent piece of research. And effectively, it measures memories. It measures people's experiences. It's a qualitative analysis as well as a quantitative analysis. So social impact, whether it's bricks and mortar, um, new community facilities, whether it's a mental fitness program, whether it's arts and culture, to, to, to sort of summarise, it's just making people smile. It's making people happy. It's giving people something that they've probably never had before from an opportunity perspective. And uh, yeah, it's definitely been a big part of our journey. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. We're talking to John Dutton, the head of the Rugby League World Cup. John, we want to talk to you about your career and how you got here as well, your journey. But just to, to finish off on the Rugby League World Cup journey, because it has been, as we've said, quite a journey so far. The wheelchair rugby league, that's different from what we would have seen in the Paralympics. It absolutely is. Um, it's still indoors, uh, five side, uh, but a mixture of disabled and non-disabled athletes, uh, men and women playing together, uh, and effectively the same as the running game, just shrunk down into a, an indoor arena. Eighty minutes, uh, full contact in terms of tackles, pass the ball backwards, uh, kick the goal uh, with an arm. Um, but we see all the same um, characteristics of the running game: physicality, dexterity, skill, speed, um, and yeah, so much to look forward to. We, really encourage people to have a look at that when the tournament comes around. And we've mentioned the Lionesses a bit earlier. The fact that it, the, the Rugby League Women's World Cup is, is taking place as well. Uh, another huge couple of weeks for women's sport. It, it absolutely is. Uh, we start with England versus Brazil. Uh, Brazil are making their debut, the first ever South American team to take part in the World Cup. Uh, we kick that off in Leeds um, and we want to start off with a full house in Leeds, uh, live on the BBC, and then that to be the countdown to the women's finals, which will take place on the same day as the men's finals at Old Trafford. Uh, so the women's sport here uh, is on a huge gro growth uh, in terms of that trajectory, uh, but I think the same is for Women's Rugby League and uh, our colleagues at the RFL have done a great job in investing uh, into the domestic game and hopefully we'll see that uh, sort of perpetuated and lifted on an international stage. Let's talk a little bit about you, John. We're not far away now from the start of the competition. So I guess everything's done. You and the team are just sat up, feet up on the desk now, just waiting for it all to kick off, aren't you? Uh, absolutely, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Look, we, 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 we are focused. We're a really small team. Uh, we've had some uh, challenges. We've lost about 60% of the workforce uh, through postponement. So we've had to re-recruit a lot of people. Uh, but we've got a really talented, really dedicated team um, who are working very hard um, and just making every day count uh, and trying to just... Uh, work through time zones. Uh, obviously, this is an international tournament. Uh, a lot of my work uh, is it actually um, with Australian colleagues. Uh, but yeah, we've got some super people uh, and really um, focused, determined uh, and being relentless at the moment. I'm always interested, actually, with events like yours and the workforce, this kind of transient workforce, if you like, that go from event to event. And I guess you have a bit of a battle, don't you, with other major events, whether that was the Euros or the Commonwealth Games to get the right people in the right key positions, whether that's media, commercial, safety, whatever it is. It's definitely been a challenge. And I, and I think that uh, the events industry, uh, like everything else, has been affected by the global pandemic. And I think the industry has lost some really good people. 
but yeah, we've, we've, we've been, I guess, in competition with other events. Uh, we're based in Manchester, uh, so that also presents um, some thoughts for some people. Uh, we've got a very young workforce, uh, but we've also surrounded ourselves with some really experienced people. And we've actually set up a very small team in Sydney as well, um, so that we can deal with uh, what's happening 12,000 miles away. But uh, it's uh, it's been an interesting challenge to uh, keep the team together for such a long period uh, and have that sort of uh, what happened through postponements and the mass displacement that that uh, gave to us. So, John, the fact that you said you're such a small team, from, from your role in particular, does that mean you're more hands-on and more into the detail than, say, previous roles that you've done? Yeah, pr- pr- probably. Um, I'm, I would regard myself as a strategist and a complex problem solver, uh, but I think now we're into the period of, just roll your sleeves up and just be relentless and and get on with it. Um, I think managing relationships, uh, partnerships, we've got really significant investment from UK government. Uh, so I, that that is my role. Uh, but now we come to a point of um, whatever needs to be done um, has to has to be done. The time now is very precious to us, um, and. Also, my knowledge of the sport as well has been, uh, I guess, helpful and unhelpful for some people because it's enabled me to uh, offer some uh, insights uh, where it's been uh, needed. Uh, it, clearly, you are a fan of the sport. And does that matter? Do, do CEOs and, and leaders have to be um, like experienced in the sport they're leading? No, I don't think so. Um, I think hopefully uh, my skills are transferable in the same way uh, as we've seen the leadership uh, across this year and also last year. Um, it helps um, me to inform uh, some of our younger teammates and some with less experience in the sport just because of my background. But that's a sort of added bonus rather than something that I believe is essential. I think the facets of a leader now are, as we discussed before, a complex problem solver, someone that can build relationships, uh, someone that's a good communicator uh, and someone can keep uh, the ship going in the uh, in the right direction, manage the budget, manage the risk uh, and all of those things. So um, knowledge of the sport is, uh, I, I love the sport of rugby league and it's an absolute privilege to be doing my job, uh, but I think someone else could do it equally as well uh, without that in-depth knowledge. How did you get to the position that you're in today? Was sports administration, was leading a team to set up a major international event, something that you were always driven towards? It was always sport, Michael, but I, want, I wanted to be an athlete. I, I, uh, I guess I pretended uh, in my teenage years that I was good enough and brave enough to be a professional uh, rugby player of either code. Uh, I had to play quite a lot of rugby union uh, and then uh, I found out I just wasn't uh, either good enough uh, or certainly brave enough. Uh, so career in sports administration, degree in sport management, and I'm now 27 years into my professional career, uh, working in golf, football, cycling, uh, and now rugby league. So uh, I, it's an pr- absolute privilege, my uh, role, and I'm going to enjoy every one of these last uh, few days until the end um and yeah just so, so many highlights of my career you still play i i, I don't uh, i am a season ticket all i mean i think i'm in my 44th year of watching my hometown team so uh, i watch an awful lot of the game but uh, my uh, my athleticism extends to marathon running that's uh, what keeps me uh, keeps me fit and keeps my mind um my mind occupied just to wrap up then john um what's the future for Rugby League World Cup? You would hope that this would kick kick it off for the next decade. 
We all hope so, uh, John. I mean, if you go back, the men's tournament started in 1954. So it is the second oldest sporting World Cup after the FIFA World Cup. It's had a checkered history. I don't think anyone in the sport would dispute that. Um, I think 2013 um, was really significant. 2017 built on that. But we hope this tournament um, will really catapult the international game to uh, where it could be. Uh, and that's going to involve some more hard work, the, the commerciality, but at least the platform that we're creating, the visibility that we will get and of course the unscripted drama and the ability uh, to provide that platform for some incredible athletes uh, we hope is going to be a really transformative moment for the sports of international rugby league two questions more from me john before we wrap up your draw was made by a prince a dame and a legend catherine granger jason robinson and prince harry is he going to come back for the tournament are you going to see him there uh, I, I suspect not. Uh, we had a wonderful moment in January 2020 at Buckingham Palace, uh, Prince Harry's last official engagement when we conducted our uh, draws. Um, we have welcomed the new sports patron, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge. Uh, we look forward to hopefully seeing her at some of the games. Uh, but Jason's still with us. Uh, Catherine's still with us. They'll feature heavily in this tournament. Um, and it just shows, doesn't it, what a long, uh, incredible journey that this has been for uh, everyone involved. And this country's certainly shown this year that it can host major events. And there's this bubble about another Olympic bid for the UK. So you, uh, Ian Reid of Birmingham 2022, are you ready to launch the Northern Powerhouse UK Olympic bid for 2040? I'll certainly wear the flag for the North of England. I'll let Ian do the uh, the rest of it, uh, Michael. But, uh, but isn't it fantastic that we've had such a summer? We've got our events to look forward to and then many more events that are going to come to the UK. And I just think that's why the UK is absolutely leading the world uh, despite the geopolitical challenges that uh, we all face well john dutton thank you so much for talking to great british bosses my pleasure thank you both sports social podcast network it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.